Hello there, and welcome to the Monday Lorians, a podcast where a bunch of Star Wars fans get together for a chat every Monday discussing the latest episode of The Mandalorian Season 2. And today, we'll be looking at the premiere episode, Chapter 9, The Marshal. My name is Jake, I'm a sound designer, podcaster, and all-round Star Wars nerd, and I'm joined today by... Hi everyone, I'm Niall, I'm a film student... Uh, hopefully one day a filmmaker, so I can make lovely things like The Mandalorian to make everyone happy every week. Uh, Before we dive into the episode, I'd like to remind everyone that uh, we did our big recap uh, episode of Season 1, so if you haven't checked that out yet, do so on freshtakehub.com slash themondaylorians, and you can also keep up to date with all the written reviews for The Mandalorian from the team at Fresh Take at thefreshtakehub.com. The first being from friend of the show, Reese Humphreys. And, and one final disclaimer uh, is that this will be a spoiler review episode, and it will be going forward for the remainder of the season. So if you haven't seen The, the Marshal yet, what are you doing? Go ahead and check that out, and then rejoin us here for the conversation. Uh, or don't. You've been warned. All right, then. So, Chapter 9, The Marshal, the much-anticipated premiere of this uh, new season of The Mandalorian. So, um, before we get into the nitty-gritty, Niall, what were your sort of overall thoughts, um, you know, going into this season? I mean, we sort of discussed that in our last episode, but of the premiere episode itself. Of the premiere episode? Uh, I thought this was a very good episode. I've got some issues with it. And I'm always going to, I should almost say that going forward, is I've just, I've realized that's just how my brain kind of works with this show. But I think it's just like, it's more dorky stuff than like very harsh criticisms. But yeah, no, I was really, I was really impressed with it. And something I really like about it as well is that the marketing for this show pretty much didn't show anything from this. So it was a very fun way to get into it by just throwing us into like a completely different direction than maybe people speculating on the marketing would expect. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we did see some things we saw from the trailer, such as the opening scene, which we'll we'll get into that in, in a bit. But um, yeah, um, like season one, away in a way, I thought the marketing was quite misleading of how it opened the show. Uh, but I thought it was a fantastic opening to season two. It's um, For me, it's exactly what I want from a Star Wars show. It linked in the overall lore into this season's story and then also gave us like this cool little side story that explored stuff that Star Wars fans have you know imagined for years, decades really, since we were kids. It's, it's old school Star Wars in the best way. The Western vibe, the unlikely team-ups, a difficult mission, you know, cinematic scenes, uh, and of course, an amazing reveal at the end, which uh, again, we'll get into in a bit. Uh, so yeah, overall for me, I, I was a big fan of it. I wouldn't say it's the best episode of the whole uh, show so far, but I, it's definitely up there for me. 
some really cool, like I said, really cool reveals, some great lore stuff, and some really good Star Wars action violence as well, which is... Uh, it's always fun to watch. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of that comes from John Favreau finally directing an episode after pretty much show running the entire first season. He was too busy doing a HD remake of The Lion King or whatever was going on. <laughs> yeah. So now it you could really tell that there was like a very big screen action or you someone used to blockbusters doing this one, especially what the scale of it in the final act. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite one of the biggest scale episodes in general um especially down to you know the length of the episode which was for a lot of people that was a you could argue a criticism of season one is that the episodes were maybe a bit too short but you know they went full out on this one with clocking in that you know without credits about 52 minutes so they seem to maybe have listened to what the fans were saying about season one and given us a bit more story um i kind of liked the episode length of season one just because it was very to the point and they got they they did what they needed to do in those episodes um did you feel the same here or did you feel as if it was a bit more filler i no not filler there's some bits in this that i think could have been cut to just have gotten it going and we'll get to those when we get into like the actual episode recap but something that i always appreciate that streaming services can do because they're not beholden to ad breaks is you know, make every episode as long or short as it needs to be for the story you want to tell, you know? And I think if this is like a a longer episode to open with and they want to go shorter or even longer, you know, I don't mind as long as they think it's appropriate for what they're showing us. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, and I feel it also definitely feels like season one in a sense that we're still going to get this adventure of the week uh, type of flavor. But opposed to season one where we were sort of going from planet to planet not really knowing what's happening here it seems a bit more coherent because uh, our lead mando has a mission and that is that he's going around looking for other mandalorians so for me it felt even better because i like the fact that we're getting this adventure of the week it almost feels like saturday morning cartoons but in in a good way um but following on from season one having a more coherent through line well, after season one, because, you know, when it, when I first watched season one, when it was, you know, coming out weekly, I had problems where I was thinking like, well, where's this going or this episode's filler? And then like this, the final episodes, they brought it all together. So I think I'm a lot more forgiving. I will be going into this season because I know that that's probably how they're going to work it from here on out is, you know, plant seeds and then at the end, show us the garden. Mm-hmm. Very much like those... Uh jingle jangle boots at the end of episode five which was paid off finally yeah i thought i was going to be santa claus i was really they really screwed me on that one what brings you here stranger i've been searching for you for many parsecs well now you found me uh so let's get into the actual episode itself then uh we open with uh mando and the child traveling to what looks like this uh industrial sort of town uh, filled with um, from the so f- from the very start, it caught my eye that there's all this graffiti in this place they're with on, and you've been, we've never seen graffiti in Star Wars before, apart from uh, Rebels, the animated show. 
So for me, I really like that because, it, again, it's sort of world building. You know, it's giving a bit more of that used universe feel, the stuff that we sort of fell in love with with Star Wars originally. Um, and I, I don't know if you saw, uh, like maybe on your second viewing, some of the the figures in the graffiti, some were like stormtroopers. I even believe there was one that looked like C-3PO in there. So yeah. I, I really like that. I, I gave it the setting just a bit more authenticity. I really want to know, like, because I, yeah, I caught the C-3PO in my second viewing. It was like, I wonder what context he's being sprayed. Do people like hate him on that planet? What has he done? Or is he like a, a rebel icon? I mean, he is uh, revered as a god on Endor, so... I would love it if that spread. It would be like the Ferris Bueller thing <laughs> when everyone thinks he's dying. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, in a really dark setting with some weird uh, red alien eyes looking at him and the child, the child being as cute as ever. But he goes to meet uh, this one-eyed alien called Gore Koresh, who um, I recognized the voice and then I found out later on it's voiced by uh, John Le Guzamo, uh, which was a nice, uh, neat little fact. I like, I like that as well. Yeah. What did you think of uh, his encounter with Gore Koresh? Well, I, I, I really like. I'm probably going to butcher his name, John Luguizamo, Luguizamo, because he's, you know, he's an actor. I love it when he shows up and stuff. I even like him in Super Mario Bros. I think that's a fun performance. But um, uh, something, yeah, going back. to we're talking about like Saturday morning cartoon, oh, cartoon, but you know, programming like that. Is this show in a very positive way reminds me of Adam West Batman in when it'll have just like fun one off cameos from actors people love. And this is no exception. He's playing like a, a horrible Cyclops. Yeah, I know. It was weird uh, CGI meets animatronics at times. <laughs> the lip syncing was um, a little weird on him, I will say. It was, yeah. Um, it it was it was weird as well because there were times I thought he sounded like John Favreau, um, which was I, I initially in the trailers I thought that was John Favreau. So, but it was nice to know it was. Um, um, I'm not even going to say his surname. Our, our um, friend John. Our friend John. Uh, so yeah, he goes to this fight club uh, looking for Mandos. Gore Koresh is uh, believes he knows a Mando. Uh, and then we get into the action scene, which I thought, you know, f from the what a great o way to open your sort of season and episode with this uh, action scene, sort of reminiscent of Mando's fighting style in chapter six of season one when he's taken out the droids. Uh, but I thought this one was shot a bit better. You could actually see his movements a lot more. Um, one of my criticisms of the fight scenes in season one was very much like Batman Begins uh, in Christopher Nolan's movies. You can't see what he's doing a lot of the time. Uh, but this one, like the choreography was a lot better done for me. So yeah, what a great way to sort of open the episode and then um, that great um, uh, in interrogation scene with Gore Koresh at the end. Yeah, I, I think my favorite part of that whole scene is the one pig guard who goes for the jump off the top rope and completely <laughs> yeah. botches it. As a, as a wrestling fan, that gave me a lot of joy. I will say, though, that sequence has something that was in season one that I really want to stop. And I might get the name wrong, but the Whistling Birds, the Mandalorian weapon, yeah, is becoming yeah, a bit of a, a, a get-out-of-jail card that I find uninteresting. So I really... I know they said it's a rare weapon, so I hope he doesn't use it very much anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think we're... 
only going to get it maybe once a season. So we'll see. Um, it's I like that you brought that scene up, though, because as we saw in the trailer, um, when Mando, you know, activates those whistling birds, the child instantly recognizes um, that, in a way, violence is about to happen. You know, you know, daddy's about to get into a scrap of some sort. So it, uh, it's great character development to see him be aware of that and hide himself in his little uh, pram. Um, but on, on a bigger level, I want to know what this does to the child going forward in the sense of he's surrounded by violence. You know, his life is constantly... Uh, on the run you know there's violence around him all the time and we saw a little bit of that when he was you know how he was force choking Cara Dune so do, do you think this will severely affect you know the child going forward and how much violence he's surrounded by I think it could I think it the show as it goes on could start to make a point and I could see it being a very sad scene if they're ever parted for good where he might realize that bringing the baby Yoda up in that environment is not good for a child at all. So I'm curious to see how it goes. I don't know if they're ever going to go into like dark side stuff because of the time period. But I think just like the, the reality of the world is something the Mandalorian likes to really bunker down on like the, the grit of it all. And I could see that joining up in a very interesting way as we go on. Yeah, I think it leads to interesting conversations going forward. Um, so we get information from Gore Koresh. Uh, there is a Mando hiding out in Tatooine, apparently. And Din Djarin's like, what? No, there can't be. I've sp spent many a time on Tatooine. And then he says, no, it is in this place called Mos Pelgo. Now, I don't know about you, but when they basically said, all right, we're going back to Tatooine, my instant reaction was a bit of an, was a bit of an eye roll. Uh, I I was a bit like, oh, really? On the first episode, we're going back to Tatooine? Like, you know, considering as well that for most people, Chapter 5, the Tatooine episode, was people's least favorite because of the sort of familiar territory. We want to see new stuff. Uh, did you have that sort of same reaction when they mentioned they were going to Tatooine? What's funny is after after years of prequel memes... I can finally unironically say, I think I do hate sand. Because, <laughs> you know, Star Wars desert planets have become a joke of their own. But I, in a way, I was glad because, you know, leaks came out. Oh, leaks. I don't know. We had certain things confirmed about the season. So I think we all knew we would be back here at some point. So I was glad to get it out of the way first thing. And I think the actual tighter direction of the episode and the fact we weren't literally spending it in Moss Eisley for so, for so much of it, I think that really helped. I was a lot more forgiving this time, I have to say. I think it's just an overall such a better episode that some of the, the over, overly nostalgic stuff or fan servicey, I hate to use that word, I think it was balanced out better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. And I agree with you. I think, like, initially going into it, I was like, oh, here we go. But then, for me, I'm what they did is what will make me keep going back to Tatooine. And that's exploring new things about Tatooine. Like you said, if they were just going to spend the whole episode in Mos Eisley, I probably wouldn't have been as engaged. But they're going to this place, uh, Mos Pelgo, you know... Um, We'll, we got to spend some serious time with the Tusken Raiders, which we'll get into a bit, because so, I think that's arguably my favorite thing about this episode. 
Um, and, you know, we got to maybe learn a bit more about possibly Boba Fett, you know, um, and, and you know, bringing in all these characters that, from the books, which, which I loved as a Star Wars nerd that reads most of the books that come out. Uh, so let's get let's get into that then. Yeah, I've just got one point I'd like to just jump into, just so I don't forget. Is I think a very clever bit of storytelling from the first scene when Gore Koresh tells him, "Oh, there's a Mandalorian on Tatooine." It reminded me a lot. I don't know if you're watching it. Have you, Have you seen any of Better Call Saul, the Breaking Bad prequel show? No, no, I haven't. No, I'm a huge fan of it because I think it does something very interesting as a prequel is it uses the viewer's knowledge of events in Breaking Bad to ramp up tension in very interesting ways because of our knowledge. And I think this episode did that because every Star Wars fan knows about Boba Fett and Tatooine. So when those things are mentioned and the Mandalorian doesn't know, but we know, it creates a very interesting uh, internal tension in the episode. Uh, Well, we basically sort of meet Boba Fett uh, in the first sort of opening 15, 20 minutes, and that is Timothy Oliphant, but he is not Boba Fett. He's playing Carb Vanth from the Aftermath book series by Chuck Wendig uh, while he's wearing Boba Fett's armor. Now, for me, first of all, like seeing him walk into the bar uh, in that outfit, I was it felt a bit odd at first just because the weird way the armor was was on timothy oliphant you know he's uh, a bit of a taller lankier guy than let's say jeremy bullock or um uh, tamira morrison so it kind of looks kind of weird at first it looks like maybe my mum had made this outfit for me for halloween when i was 10 years old with with a cooler helmet i guess but um well regardless of that though timothy oliphant wow like, I think for me, he steals this episode in terms of performances. I don't know what it is about Timothy Oliphant, but he, he sort of makes everything he's in that much better. Um, and I really liked that he got back into a lighter version, you could say, of his character, Seth Bullock, from, I don't know if you've seen the TV show Deadwood. I've only seen the pilot, and I, was, I really liked it, and it's just a weird thing that I haven't been back yet. Yeah, um... I, I've watched season one. It's it's a great show, and I can definitely see why John Favreau cast Timothy Oliphant to play this role because it just suits him so well. Um, but that but then he also goes on to tell about how the, how he got the story the story of the the armor and all that. So, but what do you think of Timothy Oliphant, Carl Vanth, Boba Fett armor, all this stuff sort of coming in? You know, from the get go, it answers a lot of questions straight away. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is awesome in this and I, I try not to use that word too much but i loved everything about him i thought he was just so instantly charismatic and charming while also not being a complete pushover you know uh, he's ready to go at it with mando just over over a suit of armor and i think that's terrific and just as a bit of a bit of the let's call it the outer rim of star wars fandom from my Twitter feed, because I've got friends who watch this casually. I've learned a lot of people are thinking uh, Cobb Vanth is a bit of a daddy. They're liking him. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've seen that as well. They're done with cute baby Yoda. They like daddy Timmy now. So Yeah, I mean, 
They didn't kill him off either, so I rec- I don't think you cast Timothy Oliphant for only one episode. I no, think he- I think they're doing the season one thing of introducing characters to then have like a big team up towards the end. Yeah. I want to see him again. He's so cool. He's, yeah, he's so good. And I just love the whole setup because it's so classic Western. Uh, you know, uh, Din Djarin, you know, instead of a horse, he's got a speeder walking through this town. Everybody's looking at him walks into the cantina and then you know when Cobb Van Venters that they're about to have a showdown so western and I just love that it just really sort of delved into that spirit yeah this this felt like a real uh Howard Hawks episode of Star Wars and I was all for it uh my I just want to go back to you saying how the the armor looked awkward on him and I agree I think I thought it looked really odd and I, but I think that might have also been a very uh, a very clear creative decision that they wanted to like put out there like this isn't his armor so it doesn't quite look right on him so it, or or it could just be bad costuming in a way either way i think <laughs> i thought he looked as soon as we saw him unmasked i was like yeah this dude looks great yeah yeah and how does he keep that perfect hair in the desert i, I know. know some people were comparing him to uh like later on uh, pierce brosnan and I was like, yeah, I can see it. He does got a sort of Pierce Brosnan flavor, yeah. Um, last thing on uh, their encounter is I love Mando's body language when they're about when he's about to sit down and Cobb Van takes the helmet off. He sort of like really stops and is like, whoa, what's, what's going on here? And then, then he goes into the, I've never met a real Mandalorian. So that sort of breaks the ice. But uh, I thought that the body language there... You know, you didn't even really need to see his face. You knew exactly what was going on through his head. Yeah, that, that was a very fun moment, especially after a whole season of, no, I'll never take my helmet off. And then just seeing someone else do it so casually was very funny. Yeah, that's why um, with the other rumored characters to be in here, I think we're going to get a couple more of those type of laughs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, okay, so basically in the end, they don't uh, shoot each other because they're going to team up. Uh, to take down a crate dragon that's terrorizing the town. This is awesome Star Wars uh, lore for us. You know, a crate dragon going back to A New Hope when crazy old man Ben is is screaming that, that crate dragon sound to scare off the Tusken Raiders. Um, and there's also some Ralph Macquarie art as well that, you know, fans have been, you know, drooling over for years, but we've never actually seen it live action. So... Uh, what did you think about bringing the crate dragon in? Well, well, it, I will be honest because uh, I've always loved the idea of crate dragons. But I, when when it became apparent that this episode was going to be a creature feature, it's got a lot of tremors in it as well. My heart sank because I think one of my least favorite storylines in Star Wars stuff is when it's on about like uh, Star Wars creatures they have to fight. I just never get into it as much, especially when I'm about to see two two dudes have a gunfight in the bar. <laughs> I was a bit like, no, please, keep doing that. But it really won me over as it went on. Like, uh, what they did around it, I found it very interesting. And I, yeah, seeing a crate dragon, I didn't think that I was going to see that in episode one of The Mandalorian, season yeah, two. They opened, yeah, they opened up big with, the, with some big stuff. Yeah. So, um... So on the so he 
what's his name? Uh, Cobb Van figures like, right, I'll take you to where the Crate Dragon's hanging out, and they go on their speeders, and this is another little detail that I loved. Cobb Van's speeder being a pod racer engine, and one that looks very similar, probably the same make and model, as Anakin Skywalker's. Uh, it's small, but I just love these little details here. I think, I think we talked about that briefly at one point in our first episode. I think I brought up pod racers, so I, I've had my fill now. I'm happy. If we had to go back to Tatooine, the one thing I wanted was a little pod racing. Just a little pod race. Just as a treat. Uh, so they carry on their journey and encounter some Tusken Raiders. Um, this is, for me, where it, get, where it really gets going, this episode, and where some of the stuff that I really like in this episode uh, take off. And this it's all the Tusken Raiders stuff. So I think Favreau, he does a great job of showing us something we've never seen before. And that's the Tuscans uh, and the settlers, obviously, working side by side to defeat a common foe. And after years of storytelling of the Tuscan Raiders being sort of presented as villains, as savages, as almost uh, animals in a way, I thought this new look at them, this uh, looking at them from a different point of view is fantastic. Like, Yeah, especially if we're because we're doing Western storytelling. And they'd almost given them, as far back as the first movie, the role of like the native savage, which is, you know, a very troubling stereotype that comes from the genre. I think they're really trying to go away to to balance that out and say like, no, no, not, it's it, not all Tuscans. Are bad people. Yeah, yeah it, it's got, like you said, it's got a very similar cowboy uh, and Native American style conflict that really fits into the Western style they're doing. Um, and the thing is, the Tusken Raiders, you, you soon realize they're doing what they have to do to survive. And in a lot of ways, I think, are kind of more understanding than the townspeople. Yeah, actually, maybe you can clear this up for me because I wasn't sure and I forgot to check. But the, um, the Tusken Raider dogs that Mando uh, yes. connects with, are those yes, I, the same I, ones from Attack I, of the Clones? Uh, yes, they are. I've jotted that down on my notes here. Dog-like lizards yeah. seen in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, I thought they were cute. I have to say, but I'm a sucker yeah, for. Yeah, once once uh, once Mando started uh, tickling one of them, you were like, "Hey, they were kind of cute." Um, I related to that though. Um, Mando speaking Tuscan. I thought that was really cool. You know, like because it sort of progressed from just the sign language that we saw in season one to him actually being able to speak the language. And I think it really shows another side of the character Mando here. You know, uh, this episode really shows how much of a leader he can be. Great leadership uh, abilities, but also, you know, ha knowing a way how to get people to work together. Uh, and I just thought really loved this side of him, you know, speaking the Tuskins and working with both these people to for a common goal. It kind of works into one of my biggest desires in a show, though, is I, want, I, I still want Mandalorian to ditch that helmet. Because boy, oh boy, do I want to see Pedro Pascal making those noises. <laughs> and, and it's also confirmed that was him. Oh, is it? Definitely. Cool. Yeah, yeah he, um, he said it somewhere. He was being interviewed, obviously, as he does. This is coming out. Uh, and he said, yeah, that's me doing the Tuscan voice. I think we actually s skipped over a little bit. I'd just like to jump. Like, it was just, um, I think we skipped over oh, was it Cobb Van talking about how he got the armor, the flashback scene. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's on their way. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Cobb Van tells a story of uh, the day the Empire fell 
in Moss, Moss Pelgo. And everyone's watching it on a hologram TV, which is very fun. I don't know if that's a re-recording or they're watching it live like a sport event. I really hope it's the <laughs> it latter. Like, it, it looked like it was like just continuous. They were like, play it again. <laughs> or is it the Empire just had like a constant live stream of the second Death Star to hype it up? And it just blew up. <laughs> just just like NASA do. Yeah. <laughs> Tesla sponsoring the second Death Star. I could believe it. But yeah, they're watching it in the bar way back. And then the mining guild show up and just start brutally murdering everyone. Which I, again, I just wasn't expecting that level of brutality for some reason. Even though the show keeps proving me wrong. There's a lot of good like post-war world building in this show. That I always really appreciate. I always find those time periods sometimes more interesting than the actual war stuff in our history. And yeah, so Cobb Vanth escapes the village stealing uh, a cantona. A cantona? Which of... for some reason he was like, I'm just going to grab this cantona not knowing what's in here. He might have made a classic mistake of thinking it was an ice cream maker. Because if you're stuck in the desert, desert. you want an ice cream maker. It's a great maker. That's true. That's true. So he steals a cantona of crystals and runs into the desert, where he's eventually rescued by a Jawa's sand crawler. And inside they open it, see the crystals, and like all situations, you swap your crystal meth for some cool armor. (laughs) That might be familiar to a lot of people. That's where he gets Boba Fett's armor, which again leaves like a, a fun storytelling vacuum. Of did a Sarlacc just spit that out? Did they uh, did they strip Boba Fett in the desert and leave him nude? Because that's that's a flashback I'd like to see. Dude, dude, where's my armor? I guess every once in a while, both sunshine on a womp rat's tail. So, tells a story, meets up with the Tuscans, and then yeah, and then they all sort of go and check out the crate dragon cave, which is an empty Sarlacc pick uh, pit. Which I quite funny, I like when Tom- Timothy Oliphant was like, I've been here all my life, there's no such thing. And he's like, well, they can be if the Sarlacc is eaten. So I think it sets up even more how much of a threat this dragon really is, considering how scared we were. Well, I, I can speak for myself how scared I was of the Sarlacc, watching that as a kid. Um, the Tuscans are showing us how they sort of work with the crate dragon in a sense to keep it away from its village by feeding it a banthers. And I have to say, I've never been so m- <laughs> seen so many banthers get killed in Star Wars before. <laughs> I feel so sorry for them. At least like four or five of them got eaten here. I just as quick note about the banthers thing. I found I was just I was very curious about it watching. I was wondering, were they still like just throwing a rug on an elephant, or did they find a new way of doing it? I think they would have found a new way of doing it, yeah. Because I'm a tra- I'm a traditionalist, but I also like animals a lot. Yeah, I don't think Petter would have uh, <laughs> liked that one. This is I was surprised how many of them did get gotten as well. Because I think sometimes they can go a little kiddy, like animals don't get hurt, but these animals just get hurt, and I'm here for it. Um, which actually, like, I like to uh, talk about the fact that this episode also had a Lawrence of Arabia kind of vibe to it. Uh, when we were, uh, there were some really good shots with um, the Tuscans on the Banthers, you know, and the music. We'll get into the music in a bit. That just felt so Middle Eastern for me, you know. I felt that they were going to break into like an Aladdin song at some point. 
but yeah, I love that element as well, adding a little bit more flavor to Star Wars. Yeah, this was just an, an epic vibe to it. I mean that in the terms of like movie epic, not the hyperbolic epic that's quite popular online. So it's after that, I believe, they're trying to plan how they're going to deal with it, including uh, using a snake kind of skeleton as a little model, to which Cobb Vanth has the inexplicable line of, what's that meant to be? She's like, what? <laughs> Cobb, come on, man. I was vouching for you. This is so clear. I just, that line made me laugh a lot the second viewing. But, um, and then the, the Tuscans realize they're going to need a lot more people. So Mandalorian uh, volunteers the town to help, to which they have a town meeting where Cobb Manf explains that in exchange for the armor, they'll deal with a crate dragon. I probably messed that up. The technicalities there. Yeah, yeah that's, that's sort of how it happens. Um, I like that they have the little town meeting. Yeah. Uh, one criticism I do have about that town meeting is that I praise Lucasfilm for having uh, an extremely diverse cast in the in the Mos Pelgo, but why is there only like one alien, the bartender? I thought that was like you could have had a few more different species of aliens there. I I don't know. That's just me. That felt like a bit of a budget balancing for this episode because you can see where the money went in this episode, and it wasn't oh, so yes. much towards the alien costumes, unfortunately. Something funny is I think he mentions like, oh, the dragon could come and eat the school next, and I don't recall seeing any children in that village. So is it like a late school for the adults? <laughs> I also don't even know where the school is. I mean, going into that opening shot of going into it, you're like, there's not a lot there. <laughs> I got my diploma from uh, Mos Pelgo. <laughs> they go, where's that? It's not <laughs> oh, even you on You probably the map. haven't heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, they um, let them know, and they're like, after a, a bit of a a tussle they finally agree tuscans come round they all you know uh, build uh, gear up the banthers with these bombs uh, and again it, we start to see more conflicts between the people and the tuscan raiders um how do you think it was sort of dealt with in this episode i thought it was done quite well it was done quite well yeah i will say that when that tuscan drops that explosive and the guy freaks out they kind of tried to play that as the the, the human being intolerant but i was on his side like these they gotta know these are explosives i i get what that moment was trying to do but it's like you could have probably picked a more <laughs> a more balanced situation where he looked more wrong also um something i found a bit weird is when they're loading up that banfo of all the bombs i just instantly assumed oh the plan is they're gonna have it swallow that banfo covered in bombs that's what i thought yeah and they'd and obviously that comes into it as the way they do solve it after a spell. It was like, what a simpler plan. Well, uh, Mando figured out that plan in the end. It just came to him a bit later than you, Nile. He should have gone to Mos Pelgo school. <laughs> That's where you learn. What are you telling them? The same thing I'm telling you. If we fight amongst ourselves, the monster will kill us all. Okay, so uh, we then go into the epic finale of the episode, which is all the townspeople, Tusken Raiders, Mando himself, and Cobb Vanth all teaming up to take down the Crate Dragon. Um, I love this sort of epic finale. I thought the action was awesome. Great Star Wars violence. Um, I, 
I never thought I'd wanted to see a Tusken Raider run before in my life, but I want to see more of that as they keep tripping over. And also Tusken Raiders, um, when they launch those like uh, javelin spears, and then when the crate Dragon f- flings them in the air, I want to see more Tuskens flying through the air because it just seems so funny. They, they seem to be so confident they can hold on to that rope and like pull that dragon yeah. down. It's like, Tuskens. Come on, do the math. What what the thought process with those uh, spikes was going to. I was going to say something I found fun about that sequence is uh, a lot of Star Wars early on was inspired by the book Dune by Frank Herbert. And the whole sandworm, the ropes, and the scale of it, especially because the new film of it's been delayed. It was really scratching that itch for me, which is is a lot of fun. Which, of course, uh, is that uh, the aspect ratio of the episode completely changes for this whole sequence. Just to show to really highlight the the epic, almost IMAX thing they're going for. I thought it was a lot of fun. I don't I don't really have any negatives to say about it. I will say something that bothered me a bit in this episode, which isn't to do with the sequence, is early on we had a scene where we met Amy Sedaris again from season one. A scene as much as I love Amy Sedaris, I thought that scene was totally useless. Because all of the exposition she gives, Cobb Vanth later gives in a much more interesting way. But I did think the reason he was going to her was he was going to let her take care of the child. Because Baby Yoda doesn't really have... They don't even cut to him that much in this episode. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't believe we're nearly at the end of this episode and we haven't really talked much about Baby Yoda. And that's because he, yeah, he doesn't really get given a lot to do in this episode apart from like uh, reaction shots, which are priceless, by the way. Like all of them are amazing. I particularly like the one where he's hiding inside the, the pot. Oh, he's he's going to have so many diseases. That was like a spittoon in a Star Wars bear. <laughs> it was freaking me this out. Is why, this is why there's a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> someone <laughs> ate some baby Yoda. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Not a lot of the child in this episode. No, and yeah, and he just left him on the bike while all this was going on. It was just kind of strange. I don't, I'm not saying it's like a massive critique, but if Amy Sedaris was going to be in this episode, because she's already looked after the child once, I thought that would have been the purpose so they could focus on other stuff. Yeah, that scene didn't really, the only thing I sort of got out of that scene, which I liked was... Uh, you could see the character development of Mando and his relationship with droids. Not those droids, though. We shouldn't have trusted those guys to fix shit, man. Why do, why do we have pit droids? <laughs> I don't know. They're useless. And we also got to see um, R5-D4. Yeah, which is one of those things, when it happened, I didn't like it. It was a bit too much of a... Because mm. I know Dave Filoni got him in season one briefly yeah in the cantina as like a passing shot yeah yeah and it was like how many star wars characters just won't die now we're on to r5 why can't that dude be dead too no i know it's been quite a few years as well come on now um so we get to the epic finale they finally realize they can't take down the crate dragon by planting bombs in the sand so Mando has the great idea to get, a very Pinocchio idea, get swallowed up with a bantha covered in bombs and then zap himself out uh, and then blow up the creature from the inside. My favorite shot in the whole show so far is Mando, gun in one hand, cow in the other. 
as the camera is like tracking towards him. It just it looked <laughs> terrific. That was a good shot as well. It's sort of uh, reminiscent of him in against Moff Gideon in the Tie Fighter, but this time he's got a Banther. <laughs> he's putting a team together. Bomb Banther, Cobb Van. <laughs> um, now I was maybe you can clear this up for me, but after I've watched this three times now, and I still don't quite get it. Um, throughout this finale, we see the crate dragon spewing what looks like some sort of acid from its mouth and burning some people and Tuscan Raiders. Now, all right, I can get, I can buy if it doesn't degrade Beskar armor, but come on, like he's, he's covered in it, like in everywhere of that slime. Is it not acidic that way? Does it have to be spewed out in a certain way? I don't know. For me, that didn't kind of make sense. I was thinking there might be a difference between like its stomach acid and like the one it uses for that. That was the only way I could really justify it. Cause you'd think it would have melted through the bombs covering even it's it's a little weird i did love seeing people just melt that was some good star wars <laughs> violence very robocop yeah i uh, yeah, never really seen that before in star wars and it was a fun uh, uh, play on the idea of the fire breathing dragon it's just like change it around a little make it yeah, a little weirder let's have some fun we're making a dragon worm yeah uh so yeah we finally get they finally kill it and Cobb gives the armor back to Din. Now, before we get into the shot of the series that we know everyone wants to hear about, uh, I kind of want to talk about a little bit about Din and Cobb and the Mandalorian aspect of it all. Now, they both wear the armor for protection, right? But for one of them, it's a way of life. It's, it's the Kree, you know? And I think over this episode, while they sort of started off a bit sketchy din grows to respect Cobb. that you know he winds up potentially sacrificing his life you know to take down the dragon and he sort of seems he trusts him enough to leave the child in his care and even though i don't think din would admit it i think he thinks Cobb is worthy of wearing the armor and i think one of the running themes of this series is that din might be learning that the armor and the creed don't make you a Mandalorian. It's more your actions and whatever you do with the armor and the power you have. Now, Vanthas used the armor to defend the people that are important to him, while Din and other Mandalorians have used it for conquering and their own gain. Now, I think what's great about this show that if he keeps on seeking out more Mandalorians, I think he's going to find out some new and interesting ways that there isn't only one way. What do you, what do you think of that? Do you, do you think by the end of it he kind of thinks, I think this guy is worthy of the armor. That is, that's, that was very well put, by the way. That was like a really good view of it. Because I know, I, I think I talked about it a bit in the pilot, is my, my trouble of how I thought the show saw Mandalorians. Because I, I think I described them as like a, a death cult, almost like Klingons. I was like, am I meant to think that that is the way? But I think they are going, they're looking more at it, the gray areas now. And especially because we're still expecting um, Death, Watch, Death Watch to come up at some point. The the group who saved him, the the terrorist group who saved him. I think he, I think he's going to have to come to terms with that. His whole culture, and you know, as we said, like a lot of Mandalorians who just take off the helmet, who don't subscribe to that part of it. Just a, a lot more, um, a broader, a different point of view. Yes, which is what Star Wars is all about. Yeah. And as for Cobb Vanth, uh, yeah, he's a very winning character. 
Because at first when he came in, I thought he was they were going to do the trope of he uses the armor because he's like useless, but people think he's great in it. That kind of storytelling thing. But no, he's like a guy who, who cosplays for all the right reasons. It's really to help out. <laughs> just one more because this is the most almost, I think uh, this must be a Dave Filoni thing. Is that to get Cobb Vanth out of the way of danger, they reused the uh, like smacking the jetpack thing. Yeah, I wanted to mention that. Yeah, which is just, you know, it's terrific, especially just to highlight, yeah, yeah it's not a great jetpack, jet okay? It shows that the jetpack is Boba Fett's greatest weakness. I, that might, yeah, maybe that'll, that might be a plot point later on. He wants revenge for it. I also, uh, I forgot to mention this, another little detail, but I just found it quite funny. Uh, the Tuscans cleaning the teeth <laughs> of the Banthers with their Mastiffs. <laughs> it's both as can be used as a weapon and a toothbrush. It was funny because I, I wasn't aware of this, but the Tuscans, part of the reason they want, they will work with the town is if they get rights to the carcass and anything they get in it is the big pearl they find. Yeah. Is apparently in the, the old video game Star Wars Galaxies, that was a popular drop from killing a crate dragon. So of all things to reference, they dove back to this old uh, RPG it's, it's the kind of fan service I like because it's not on the nose or irritating. It's like, oh, that's fun. No, it is because for me, you know, I like to think I know my Star Wars, but even I at first was like, I don't really know the significance of that. So I had to sort of Wikipedia it and to find out it was related to, as you said, Star Wars Galaxies. I thought, ah, for, for fans of that game, and I know it's a very popular game, that's nice. That's really cool. At first I thought bizarrely in I was watching this. I think we were both watching this around seven in the morning. My brain isn't too good first thing in the morning. I thought it was like a reference to the bull boss and holds at the end of Phantom Menace, which I am forever perplexed by at the, that celebration. Oh, the, he the, just holds the, up a blue bull. Yeah. Yeah. The peace orb, as I call it. <laughs> I, I still don't know what's going on with that. That might be one of those mysteries I have to live with. What's the plan? You're going to take care of the child. What are you going to do? I don't know, but wish me luck. All right, then. So let's get to it then, Niall. The thing that everybody tuned into this show for. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. So, yes, of course, the final shot of the episode. See Mando speeding along into the twin sunsets on the horizon. So then we get this gruff-looking dude with a couple of spears on his back. Turns around to reveal the face of Tamura Morrison. And now everybody's going crazy thinking it's, I think personally, it is Boba Fett. Some other people think it might be Rex or one of the other clones. But I, I think we, I mean, I don't know about you, Niall, but I think it's Boba Fett. I, I think it's Boba Fett. I think like he looks scared, his hair's burned off. If it's not, they've gone to like a dumb degree of trying to make it look like it is. And narratively, it would be pointless and a bit unsatisfying to hint it that way. It's like, why would Captain Rex be there and look so young as well? Yeah, narratively, it makes sense that Boba Fett would be in Tatooine, especially if that you know he hasn't got his armor or or his Slave One ship. How's he going to get off planet? It's something something I find very interesting because uh, I think I've brought up a few times. I'm just like against bringing characters, especially ones who've died. But I also, you know, I really like what they did with Darth Maul when he did it. So I have to think, if they're doing this, they might have a very interesting angle. And 
I hope he's not an antagonist, if that makes sense. I would like it if the events maybe humbled and changed him, and maybe he could become a supporting, you know, not in the whole show, but a more supportive role than, oh, let's fight Boba Fett. I don't know. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I'm with you. I think it'd be a bit more interesting to have him maybe like an anti-hero in a way. So, you know, Mando himself is sort of an anti-hero. We've seen he doesn't really have a problem with, you know, killing people and stuff. So maybe he takes it that step further than Mando in a way, but I don't want him to be a complete villain because I feel as if we've already seen him as a villain. And I think if they encounter, and I hope they do encounter in a way, you know, season one, there was this rumor about Boba Fett and I was totally against it. I was like, no, no, no. This show is about the Mandalorian, this Mandalorian. We've had our time with Boba Fett. Let's not go into that. But now spending time with the character and seeing where the story has taken us, I'm a bit more on board for bringing in Boba Fett because much like we sort of talked about uh, Din's relationship with Cobb and what it means to be a Mandalorian, I think there's going to be some really interesting dynamics between him and Boba because, you know, Boba is not a Mandalorian and he, for Mando, it would be in a way he misused the armor. He did things for the wrong reasons. You know, he was, even though Mando is a bounty hunter himself, he sort of does bounty hunting to just get by. You know, he I always look at him as like the working class guy just trying to get through his day. Boba Fett has a bit more of a, nefarious name to himself as a villain so i can see him being like you do you shouldn't wear that armor you never should have worn that armor uh tying back to maybe his father jango fett i mean for fans of the clone wars that is explored a bit there with one of the mandalore leaders saying no jango fett was never a mandalorian so i think there's some interesting stuff there i really you know like i said before if he meets other mandalorians as well and it all sort of comes together Bo-Katan, uh, more, uh, small, uh, Boba Fett. I think it could be really interesting to- storytelling. I think it's a, it was a very deliberately ambiguous expression almost on Tamira Morrison because there's, there's, there's kind of two ways I'm looking at it maybe is maybe after what happened at the Sarlacc pit, he escaped and maybe sold his armor because he might have felt he didn't uh, deserve it anymore. And decide to live as a hermit. Because maybe his reputation was in tatters after what happened. Or else maybe it was stolen. And then we're on a quest where this man wants to get back a, a family heirloom. Which could again be a, a great bit of storytelling where we, the audience, know more than like Mandalorian does. Because obviously just poor Boba like, saw his dad get beheaded as a child. It sucks. And also his hatred of the Jedi could really come in. If they pass. I was just about to bring that up, yeah. yeah. Because obviously Mando's sort of looking for Force Jedi people because of the child. So if he mentions that to Boba, Boba's definitely going to have some thoughts about the Jedi and mm. Force. And Boba, I can't remember. Maybe they didn't have any scenes together. But Boba definitely knows of Yoda. So he's the one guy we know most who might recognize what the baby is. I don't want him to go on long conversations about Yoda. It's like the the Poochie dynamic, but... I will say, though, about this reveal, I thought it was a great reveal. Fantastic. I'm happy to see Boba back. But I can't help but think the rumors that came out sort of spoilt it for everyone. 
You know, we we didn't get that huge Baby Yoda reveal at the end of the first episode of season one, uh, which shocked everybody, you know, around the world. This one, it was more of like, is it this episode or is it the next one? Like, it, yeah, we were sort of expecting it in a way. And we were just waiting for that reveal. Can it, correct me if I'm wrong. I just, I'm not sure. Was it like, was Tamara Morrison leaked to be in it? Or was he actually like officially said he's in this series? No, it was, it was all leaked. It, uh. Lucasfilm, Lucasfilm for all the rumored names. And that is, you know, I'll say them on here. Ahsoka, Boba Fett, Bo-Katan, um, it, even Cobb Vanth. You know, all these rumored. It was never confirmed by Lucasfilm or the people, the team at The Mandalorian. It's all leaks. It, it, it is a shame because it is something obviously we were both expecting. But I also think if this episode came out with nothing like associated with it, no leaks, like as soon as you, they say, oh, Mandalorian on Tatooine, I'm, I'm honestly fully expecting like, oh, Tamira Morrison's going to have a cameo. They're going to do that. We, we, we've just been exposed to that so much. Like, I think that's the whole reason Star Wars had an EU was because people were like, no, Boba Fett's alive. He escaped. I, I've, and I've always been a... I like death. I'm just going to say it. I like, <laughs> you like people to stay dead. I like that everyone has a narrative ending they're born with. And I think in Star Wars, you know, it's about war. People got to die. No one's ever really gone. No one's ever really gone. That being said... I'm a big Tamura Morrison fan. I'm a, I'm very excited to see him at, without a helmet Same. doing his acting. He's a great guy. And the thing is, we're going to have to have more of these great actors without helmets because if yeah. Din Djarin is going to keep that bucket on, we're going we're gonna to need that. That's why it was, for me, this episode wouldn't have worked as well if Timothy Olyphant had the helmet on the oh, whole yeah. time. I will say this is a... Let's call this a side story. I'm also at the same time I'm watching Mandalorian... I'm watching Game of Thrones for the first time. I've been on oh, off wow. with it for a long time, but I've only just started uh, season four recently where Pedro Pascal comes into the show. Oh, the Red Viper. He's so good. And my problem is watching this episode when Din Djarin's talking to Timothy Oliphant. If both of those dudes have no helmets on, that room's too handsome. I'll have to turn my TV off, you know? Too, That's true. Too Why many... do we even bother if yeah. we see them? And what if they kiss? I'll die. I can't take this. <laughs> There's too much power. It's just very handsome men in the desert. That's what this show should be called. Handsome men in the desert and baby Yoda. <laughs> That's what our podcast should be called. It's going to be great. One last thing. Um, this is more of a, a negative for me. Okay. I'm more, I'm more for the episodic, and, like, and I love this episode. I think it's a great episode. And I'm more for the episodic style storytelling but they just didn't seem any direction to where the next episode was heading, if you know what I mean. I am wondering, yeah, I am wondering if the next episode might just outright follow up on the Boba Fett stinger. We might get another episode where they meet, because otherwise that's kind of hanging over the show. So I'd, I'd almost appreciate it if we just get into it. So yeah, I guess, um, do we have any, any grand closing thoughts between us? I guess sometimes both sun shines on a womp rat's tail. <laughs> it's just it's fun. Is, is, that a, is that their version of Groundhog Day? <laughs> I just, I don't know what it was about that line and the delivery by Timothy Oliphant is just so good. Yeah. Uh, I, it's just more great Star Wars dialogue. Stuff that you're like, you can write this stuff, but you can't say it. And somehow these actors managed to pull off saying this stuff. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of making prestige actors say ridiculous things. Yeah, that was the, the best thing about Werner Herzog in the last season. Oh, I miss him already. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, so um, yeah, any uh, closing statement from you, Niall? One, one thing, yeah, I want to say that um, I can't believe we skipped over. When that dragon blows up, that is a terrific explosion. Holy cow. It's a good one. I feel bad for it in a lot of ways because an animal that big must be endangered. But God, did I love seeing it die. Uh, yeah, and I will say this episode felt like, because I, you know, I had a lot of problems with season four last season. This felt like a much better version of that for me, is having to get these like disparate kind of townsfolk and the Tuscans to work together to save the town. I just found it a lot more satisfying. And just Cobb Vanth is a, a much better person for him to play off than Cara Dune, who we, we didn't really talk about. I don't really want to talk about Gina Carano, but I think my silence will speak volumes. So yeah, I, I have spoken. Yeah, uh, I, oh, I can't believe we didn't talk about this either. But again, uh, Ludwig Göransson's music. Holy cow, yeah. Is phenomenal. Like literally from the opening scene uh, where Mando's walking through the lights. With, already I was hooked by the music because he was doing something different. The themes, it, like you sort of, this episode as well, it felt like a, a best of hits of all mm. the music we liked from season one all into this episode. And I, it's just so good. I can't wait to hear what he had. Yeah, there was some really interesting... It felt like he was really trying stuff... I'm probably using the wrong terminology. With, like, reverb or something. Especially when he's flying towards Tatooine. There's a really interesting sound. I can't wait for the soundtrack for the season to drop. Because that was a highlight of the last season. Is I think there were weekly drops on Spotify. They were. I was looking for this and it still hasn't dropped. Uh, get on it, Lucasfilm. Feed us. Okay, so I guess that brings us to the end of our chapter. Chapter 9, The Marshal. Before we get out of here, uh, any last words or where can people find you now? Well, you can find me at Twitter. I'm at Niall the Glynn. And yeah, we're going to also... There's going to be reviews going up every week for these episodes. I know Jake mentioned. Uh, I think I'm only doing the very final episode. Jake, do you know which ones you're doing yet? Uh, I'll be doing chapter 13, the Dave Filoni episode. Oh, let, let's hope he's gotten more used to the live action stuff, because I think he was the, his directing was a weak spot for season one for me. But, you know, it was his first time. I give him a lot of leeway. And obviously, you know, read all the reviews that are going up, because Fresh, Fresh Take has a lot of great writers. And hopefully, if we can keep this show going, we're going to have like maybe a bigger panel coming in and out. But you know it's early days yet. And also I believe we we all have Kofi accounts. Is that right? Uh I'm not sure about that one. Oh uh, me me and Dave anyway, we've set up a KOFI accounts, which is a bit, you know, if you like the show, maybe Jake will start one up as well, I'm not sure. But you can donate just enough money to get a cup of coffee. It's just a nice little gesture. And if you don't like the show, eh, don't buy me don't buy us coffee. I probably drink too much anyway. And where can we find you, Jake? Uh, we can, you can find me on Twitter at SweatyJake. And you can also check me out on Letterboxd at Jake Hart. Uh, you can check out my um, other podcast I do with Dave, uh, Capes, Cows and Mask. We talk about superheroes and science fiction and all that good stuff. Uh, and yeah, also check out freshtakehub.com slash the Monday Lorians to keep up to date with us. 
uh, and the freshtakehub.com for all the writ- uh, weekly written reviews. Awesome, yeah. Yeah, so another... Oh God, what a great first intro to the show. I know. I can't wait to see where the show goes, and um, we've got some exciting stuff to talk about in the future. I can't wait. Uh, right, so if that's all, we're going to wrap up now. So see you later, guys. Stay safe, and this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.